have been talking about what it means to be changed by Jesus. And I guess the thing for me is that as, I, as we've gone through this series and just seeing kind of the most unlikely candidates for faith come to know Jesus, and, and, and yet he meets people that you would never perceive to be um, those people who would be part of the kingdom of God, and yet they are. And Jesus just kind of turns our expectations of what it means to be religious upside down. Uh, I, I was thinking about this, and, and I remember when I was like probably around 12 years old, I remember the, the um, person who was leading the group I was in at our church uh, did this whole talk about notorious sinners. And I was like, wow, what's a notorious sinner look like? And the next week at my church, when I was 12 years old, there was a guy who had just come from this prison ministry, and he was tough, and he was tatted up, and he was, he was like, you know, one of those guys who just worked out all the time, not like me, and, uh, and, and I thought, that's it. I leaned to my friend Rob, I said, that's a notorious sinner. Wow, let's go say hi to him. And, you know, and, and, and uh, we went up to him, we were expecting, you know, you know, tell us about you, and he was just like this nicest guy, uh, well, that was kind of disappointing. I was expecting something more radical because I, I realized just how sheltered I was. I, I, I think one of the things that I have loved most about um, as we've started this church is I came from a church where I had to wear a tie every Sunday and um, it was just a very, uh, it was a nice group of people. But I, I just feel like when I came here, I came home. Uh, when we started, we, uh, we just wanted to be a church for people who didn't go to church. And so the people who started coming to our church, I mean, it was the first time I'd been in a church where we had to have a designated smoking area where, you know, the Harley guys all had their spot picked out. And I thought, I have found my home. You know, these are my people. Because I, I tell you, I, I get invited to a lot of uh, churchy events, and, and I would rather be at the non-churchy ones. <laughs> That's the thing about it. And, and so as I read this story to you, I, I just want you to imagine the scene. Because what happens is that Jesus is invited to dinner at the life of a Pharisee, a religious leader. And he gets invited to a nice churchy event. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't a church potluck, right? And it's a nice churchy event. And so all the right people are there. And then the party gets turned upside down. And let me show you, tell you why. And I'm just going to read to you from Luke chapter 7. It says this. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life. We don't even know her name. That's all we know about her, right? That's how she's described. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life, you can imagine what that might be, learned that Jesus was eating the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. Now, now think about that, right? This Pharisee has got this nice little dinner party, and in those days, people from the community were allowed to um, kind of be spectators. In other words, it was, would be, usually be a large enough home that people who were not from the religious community could come and observe, but it was usually at a safe distance. It was kind of like, you know, the, the cheap seat balcony seats. You know, I don't know if there was a balcony. But, uh, but they, they could come, but they certainly weren't expected to get involved. They weren't expected to participate. And so this guy's got this nice little party set out for Jesus. Everything's looking good. The people who shouldn't be there but are just kind of tolerated and, you know, puts on a good show, they're, they're allowed back here. Now, all of a sudden, this woman comes down, and you think, okay, what's she going to say? 
And the, the Pharisee knows who she is right away. He says, oh yeah, that's the sinful woman. That's all he sees. That's the sinful woman. And, and so what happens then is, is, you know, he's just like bracing himself because he doesn't know what's going to happen, but she doesn't say a word. And then the thing that happens that, that probably he least expected is she just starts to weep. She just starts to weep. You're like, why is she weeping? And it's because she is so filled with love for Jesus. And she crying, she's crying so hard that her tears are literally falling on Jesus' feet. Now, now, now think about that, because back in those days, oftentimes when someone came to the, the home of a Pharisee, they come in and they wash your feet because they walk dusty roads, usually with sandals. Who knows if Jesus' feet had even been clean or not, but, but this woman didn't care. Um, and, and all that we know about this woman is that her reputation precedes her, right? She is labeled, written off, and not seen as someone who really is going to be acceptable in God's family. But yet, here's the thing, is that actions speak louder than words, and what you see now in this woman is this response of love that's just amazing, right? She, her actions cause her great, her reflect great care and cost and emotion. I mean, most people believe that the, the perfume that was uh, poured over Jesus' feet uh, was, was nard, and, and to be able to do that, they, they figured there was probably a whole year's worth of wages. Can you imagine? Imagine a year's worth of wages just poured out in Jesus' feet. And right now, the religious people are not liking this already, right? And, and yet, she's so filled with emotion because she desired only to pour out her tears of appreciation and joy on Jesus because he gave her hope. He gave her access to God when she didn't know if she'd ever had, had it, ever. And she didn't really care about what others thought. I mean, this is incredible humility, right? She saw only Jesus. And yet, when you look at this story, I, I think the part that gets so troubling about this is then you see the rest of the group there, right? What did the Pharisee see? Well, he, he starts this out with, you know, if this man were, if he would know who is touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Well, then obviously, what's the rest of the conclusion, right? That he wouldn't have anything to do with her. Because you see, and then pious figures have nothing to do with sinners, Separatism is the name of the game. He didn't see a person. He didn't even know her name. He just knew that she was a sinner. He didn't know her name, and he didn't really care. It's interesting. Um, I, I was with a, a, a friend in, in a, a, a real hard part of town, and I was kind of clinging to him because it, it was out of my comfort zone, right? And, and we were walking through, and, and I thought, what am I going to say? And, and so he would just start... Uh, going up to people, and every time, the first thing he said is, tell me your name. Tell me your name. What's your name? Because he knew that everyone had a story, and every story mattered to God. And that was always a starting place, and I was always so touched by that, because you see, this woman had a name, but we don't know it. But you see, Jesus saw something different. I mean, think about it. What do you think when you see or you meet a notorious sinner, Right? I just love saying that. How many of you know any notorious sinners? How many of you are notorious sinners? Just, okay, that's why I'm in the right church. Okay, good. I knew you would raise your hand. And so, okay, so, so here's the thing, is that, that Jesus saw something entirely different. He saw a person. He saw a person who mattered to God, a person who had been forgiven much. I mean, in this awkward situation, right, where this man is trying to maintain purity and testimony and, and association with sinners is prohibited, and now his party is just going off the rack, tracks, right? 
It's going off the rail. It's not going how he thought of it. Then Jesus looks at this man, and his name is Simon, um, not Simon Peter, but Jesus answered him. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. He answered him, but all this man had done was saying these things to himself. Now, whether Jesus just knew this automatically or he overheard, I think Jesus just picked on him instinctively, right? Because Jesus just says to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii. Okay, that's about two months of debt. And the other, 50. That's about a year and a half years of debt. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? The one who owed him more. Who is more grateful? Who is more appreciative? Who is more filled with love and amazement of this great forgiveness of debt? And then this is what he does, because Jesus sees that great forgiveness provides the opportunity for great love. And so now he talks about the response of love, and he, and he says, you see this woman? Isn't that an interesting question? First question, do you see this woman? Do you even see her? I don't think that was just a coincidence or a passing statement. I think that was a very profound statement, a very intentional statement. Do you see this woman? Do you see that she's someone who matters to God? Do you see her worth? You see her as more than just a sinner, more than an inconvenience to your great little party. Do you see this woman? And then he just lays it all out. I came into your house and you didn't give me any water for my feet. So already we know. Jesus comes in and, and they didn't even give him the common courtesy of washing his feet, which was always done for religious leaders who were guests of honors at a party. So she came and just Jesus had dirty feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been given little, forgiven little, loves little. You see, that's the problem, isn't it? The Pharisee didn't realize that God had forgiven him much. He took it for granted. It was just accepted. Because why? Because he did all the right things. He didn't necessarily need a Savior. He just, in this situation, seemed to want to just look good. But now we have this woman. This woman who sees the value of a God that would accept her and see her when all everyone else saw, what everyone else saw was a sinner who was in their way. You see, Jesus pursues sinners. He welcomes association with them. Because of the possibility that they may realize God's gracious forgiveness. And, and, and so for Jesus, this is an entirely different situation. And here's the other thing that Jesus sees, that his authority and love made it possible for sinners to be forgiven and welcomed into God's family. Now here's where Jesus crossed the line, and he really does. Because it's one thing to acknowledge someone who's uh, a sinner. It's another thing to forgive them. Because everyone in that household knew that the only one who could forgive sins was who? God alone. And so Jesus is declaring his authority right here and now. He's saying, of course I'm going to forgive her sins because I am he. I am God in the flesh. I am the one who has come to just reach out to people who are sick and need of a physician. I have come to heal sinners and take their woundedness and turn them into scars. I have come so that they may be made whole. 
Simon, do you see it? Do you see her? Do you see how precious she is to me? And so once Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, the other guests begin to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And that's the big question this morning. Who is Jesus? Is he just a party guest? Or is he God in the flesh? Is he the one who came to give the love of God to us, to show us the way to heaven, to give his very life for the things we've done wrong? Isn't that why we're taking communion today? This is Jesus, who has the authority to forgive sins, who has the ability to take people who have wrecked their lives and make them whole again, who takes sinners and forgives them. And then this is the amazing part. He goes and he turns to the woman, and he says to her, your sins are forgiven Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You see, it wasn't her efforts that saved her. I always think that's the great part of the story because, you know what, this is all tied to Jesus, not because she is good enough. I meet so many people who say, you know what, I, I, I just don't know if I've done enough to be accepted by God. And you see, you missed the whole point then. See, Jesus didn't say, she is one of mine because, man, she spent a lot of money on my feet. I mean, I'm just waiting for the pedicure, right? I mean, she has done so much. He doesn't say any of that. He doesn't say, okay, she's in. She, she, she earned my love, right? He doesn't even say that. It wasn't anything to do with what she did because what she did was outpouring of what she had. And what she had was faith in Jesus. That's why she even came. That's why she dared to approach him because she knew that Jesus was different. She saw who he truly was and Jesus saw who she truly was. She was a child of God. And here's the thing. So many of you come to church and we work so hard to be accepted by God, but what God only wants is our hearts. He only wants us to respond in faith. For it's by grace you've been saved, Ephesians says, through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can See, the good news of this story is that sinners, even notorious ones, can know God will respond when they turn humbly to Him. Now, it's interesting, as I was reading this story, there was another story that had come to mind uh, in Matthew, because a similar uh, type of situation uh, of someone who's been forgiven much, but very different outcome. And I want you to read this story in comparison. Uh, Peter now comes to Jesus and says, Lord, how many times shall I give my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? By the way, that was rather magnanimous because Jewish culture only required you to forgive someone three times before you wrote them off. Peter's feeling good today. I could do seven. And Jesus said, wow, Peter, that is way more than I ever would have thought of. No, Jesus, don't even say that. I mean, Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. I can just imagine what happens when Jesus answers. Jesus answered, I'll tell you, not seven times. 77 times. Oh my goodness. I don't know about you, but I can forgive someone once, twice, maybe three times. Seven is a good day for me. 77 times. This is what Jesus says. What's he doing? He's putting the bar so far out there. Who is beyond God's forgiveness? And then he tells this story. Therefore, the kingdom of God is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him a thousand bags, 10,000 10, bags of gold was brought to him. I mean, more than he could ever repay. And, and this is why this story is symbolic of the kingdom of God. Each of us owns God more than we could ever repay. 
And then we see God's grace and mercies modeled for forgiveness. And, and he says this, Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Wow. This is what God's like. But now the servant goes out. He finds one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. Nothing. Nothing compared to 10,000 bags of gold, right? 100 silver coins. Not much at all. He grabs him and he begins to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. You've seen this story before? Be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. By the way, you really can't pay off your debt very well if you're thrown into prison. And when the other servants saw what happened, they were outraged. They, were, they couldn't believe it. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. And this, this is the kicker of the story. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Man, what a contrast. Could you imagine if that woman who had wiped Jesus' feet with her tears had been now accepted in the community of God and the family of faith and she'd just gone out and been just mean and wicked to everybody who ever owed her? I mean, the story is, is so harsh for us to, to see, but here, here's the thing about it is I can't tell you how many times I meet with people who are believers in Jesus, and yet they are so filled with anger and venom towards others. And, and, and I think, you know what, have we forgotten what Jesus has done for us? Now we can say, well, these people are undeserving. They deserve what they get, right? We could do all that, but then you put it in the light of the cross. You put it in light of what Jesus has done for us, and, and, and how can we even respond that way? You see... We show our gratitude for God's forgiveness in so many ways, whether it's through our generosity or our words or, or, or just the way we reach out to those who are in need or the kindness we show. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. You know, the funny thing is when I was, when I was preparing this message, this is such a moving story to me, and, and it shows me so much the heart of Jesus. I, I knew it was something I had to share with you because it shows so how much how Jesus changed us. But to be honest, when I, when I, when I got this all prepared and, and it was all ready to share it with you, I thought, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? I mean, you can leave here, and you can say, wow, great message, Pastor. See you next week. And that's it. But, but, but somehow i got to believe that, that if, if God is in this, that, that if we see in this story, we see someone whose life has been changed forever by the love of Jesus Christ, who is so moved by how much she is forgiven that her, she is filled with tears and joy, and she, she, she pours everything she has out before Jesus. What are we going to do with what we know of how Jesus has forgiven us? How are we going to treat others? And whether it's family members or neighbors or co-workers or the person you see on the street, whether it's the gay man that you know or, or, or the pregnant teen, or I mean, the list goes on and on and on, right? 
We can come up with our own list of people that we might be uncomfortable around. But, but the truth of the matter is that Jesus calls us to love each and every one of them. That's got to rock our world. I mean, I, I see this, this merciless servant, right? I think, how many times have I been that? How many times has Jesus showed me such kindness and I turn around and rip people up? Or don't come alongside them? Or judge them? Or limit the grace I will show them? You know, I, I just um, I just look at this, and it just it grips me that I am most like Jesus when I extend the same mercy Jesus showed me to others. Today we're going to take communion, and if we take this, this communion, if we say, Jesus, I accept your forgiveness, then, then what does that do when we leave this place? Forgiveness has to be more than lip service. It changes the way we talk to others. It changes the way we act towards others. It changes the way we, we help others and give to others. It, it, it should change everything about us because so great is the forgiveness that God has shown us. So great is what he has let go. What great was so moving to us is that the God of the universe has reached out to us and say, I forgive you. I accept you. I love you. I know what you've done, but it doesn't matter. Is that going to change how we treat others? How do forgiven people live? You know, uh, right now, I, I can tell you, uh, we've got like, I can tell you two women in our church right now who are in need of a place to live. And they don't have any money to pay for it. And they don't know what their next steps are. And, and it is a hard situation. And I wonder, will there be someone in this church who would take them in? to realize that they are uh, rugged and on a journey and they are not uh, finished products and, and that doing so would come at, at a cost and it would, it would, it would be a lot, but, but who would say that was worth it? I, I've got somebody else in our church who's, who's got surgery and can't, coming up and they, they're not sure they can afford it. I, I've got someone else in our church who doesn't have any way to get around and they're looking for a car but they can't... They can't afford it. And, I, and, and it's not just that we go out and we just buy a bunch of stuff and do all this. Uh, it, it just seems, though, that there needs to be more to our compassion than just words that have no meaning because we just go out and don't do anything different. And, and like I said, I, I mean, this is a little bit of a scary sermon for me because I don't have a nice little cookie-cutter plan for all of you, Right? I don't want to say, okay, well, you, I know what you're going to do. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Sean loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. I don't have that, right? Okay, I, I don't have what, what you should do from here, what you should do, or what you should do, or what I should do. I just know that Jesus has done something great in our lives, and, and I look at the, the, the heart of this woman who is so filled with love and joy that she can't help cry, but cry. And, and I, I tell you, I was, um, I was at that same wedding Mick was at. I, I, I love that Mick is just, Decided to color his hair like mine to be like me. That's great. Um, <laughs> every, <laughs> every time I say that, it's, it's blonde, it's blonde. I'm, I'm just grateful Mick Leslie doesn't say, you idiot. He doesn't say any of that ever. He's always so good to me. <laughs> um, where was I? Oh, yeah, I was at this wedding. <laughs> I was at this wedding. And, and so many of you were, uh, so many people were there. It was, um, it was uh, Nikki Verduzgo and Mikey McMurdo. Um, Nikki started coming to church when she was five. 
I baptized her when she was eight. And, and, and I can tell you, um, there were people in this church who poured into her. Uh, and, and, and Mikey, I remember when she met him in high school. Because, you know, I kind of, I have a soft spot for single moms with, with kids and, and, and this single mom, Charmaine, and her daughter, you know, and just kind of looking out. And they were, they were so, um, you know, it was just a, such a great environment. She found all these great girlfriends, and, and, and um, it was wonderful. And then she's high school, and she meets this boy, right? That's what they are to me. I have two daughters. They're just boys, right? Um, and I was like, oh, man, we got to get rid of this guy fast. Uh, you know, and, uh, and yet he was a great guy, right? And, and, and I've watched them grow up, and I've watched him uh, now uh, take his face seriously. And, and, and I'm watching these people who I knew as these, these um, little kids who now are at this place where they are adults, and they have a daughter, and, and they're going to raise that daughter up. And, and I think, what has the love and forgiveness of Jesus done for them? And, and, and you just watch that change. And, and I love when Mick just said it, you know, just the, such passionate love we saw yesterday. And, and you think, how is that going to carry forward? And, and it, it's the same in everything. How does the love of Christ change us? How, how we treat each other, how we speak to each other, how we help one another. I mean, what is it going to do for you? Because the whole point is that if Jesus Christ gave his life for you and for me so that we might know God completely, know him more. There's still more we need to know of God. But to know him more, to know him deeply in his love, and that it changes and transforms us. How can that not spill over to others? And I saw people who just had been nurtured by so many, many in this church, young people who grew up and now just are able to start this new life where they are both committed to Christ and to one another, and you wonder how that's going to grow from here. And I wonder for each one of you here, because I don't have a perfect plan for you other than this. I know that Jesus Christ loves you and gave himself up for you and he would not stop at anything to redeem you and to bring you back. And that's what this woman has experienced and that is why she can't stop crying. And then you got the servant. You read that story and what do we all say? What a jerk. But I wonder if we say, oh, that could be me. And I put those two stories together. They're not side by side in the Bible, but they're two stories that talk about forgiveness. And, and, and we, can, we can take it to heart and we can say, yes, Lord, you have forgiven me much and therefore I will love much. Or we can say, you know, Jesus, I got off the hook and now I'm going to get back at everyone who's done me wrong. Where's God going to take you? So as we receive this communion, I would just ask that, that before you come up and take communion, you just say, God, how do you want me to live out the forgiveness that I've received? 